Well, 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 another fab weekend of Rugby League has come and gone, and it's time to talk all about it. This is the Rugby League Hot Recap. I'm your host, Lockie Campbell, and delighted to be joined by my co-host, Leonie Hustleby, this evening. Leonie, how are we? I'm good. It's been a, it's been a long Rugby League week, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. There's been there's so much to talk about um, this evening, um, but we're going to begin our recap by heading to a packed out DW Stadium to see which team would be crowned the best in the world at the World Club Challenge. This is it. It's now or never for the Panthers. Their hopes and dreams will die on this play. They're going through the hands. They've got a chance with Peachy. Sufficient evidence to overturn the live call of no try. Thank you. I have made decision my decision. Incoming. Insufficient evidence to overturn it. It will mean that the Wigan Warriors are going to be the world champions. Listen to that reaction. What a roar from DW there. That was Mark Wilson for Sky and Fox League with the call as the Penrith Panthers were denied a potential game-tying try in the dying seconds there as Wigan won their fifth World Club Challenge 16-12 against the NRL Premiers. It was easily the most entertaining game of the season yet with some powerhouse performances across both sides. Uh, However, the key talking point that everyone is talking about, particularly in the Australian media, was that last-minute opportunity where Taylor May was held on the goal line by the fantastic Jai Field. Now, whilst this was definitely a 50-50, the controversy comes with the fact that Wigan's game-winning try from Jake Wardle, in my opinion, did not look a try, with the Wigan player clearly short of the line. The referee, Liam Moore, called it a try and referred to the video referee, who couldn't see enough from the available angles he had to overturn it. And in the May incident, This was called a no try and the video referee then decided not to overrule the referee on the field. So the key complaint that many have here is that if the Wardle attempt was a try, then the May one should have also been a try. And I do think Wigan have got very lucky here that both calls did go in their favour. From the start, this game looked like it was going to be a barnstormer as Wigan took an early lead after Abbas Miski converted delicious goal line pass from Bevan French before Nathan Cleary struck for the visitors after a Wigan defensive mishap handed him the ball in the Wigan 10. Harry Smith then put Wigan level with a penalty kick before Cruz Lehman finished off a stunning counter-attack from the Cherries. Uh, Panthers fullback Dylan Edwards then scored a trademark stunner after swiftly chopping through the Wigan defence to get over the line right before half-time. Then came the controversial Wardle try with 54 minutes play to put the Cherries back in front. The Panthers had their opportunity to find the line over the last 25 minutes and Jay Jay Fields made an utterly world-class tackle to deny May, who was just a few yards away from tying the game up. And Wigan were then denied another as French was offside from Smith's stunning kick downfield. The Panthers kept pushing in the last 10 and they were then denied at the death as the call said at the start. And what a night for Warriors fans. What a game. And it's a great place for us to start off uh, this evening here on Sunday night after all the games have been played. Leone, we said uh, last week we, we couldn't let Wigan win, but they've done it. So how are the emotions feeling now as we head into the rest of the Super League season? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're brilliant. You, that's very hard to deny. It, it brings me no great joy to admit that they are great. I really did think it was going to be the Panthers, though. Like I was, I was really sort of, I was really sort of gunning for them. And I think it must have been so disappointing for the Panthers because I think they must have thought, well, if Wiggins was a trial, then surely ours would be as well. Um, and, and obviously, it was a very, it was a very tight game, which I think. Everyone loves everyone loves a tight game because they're they're exciting. They keep you on your toes, um, but obviously Wigan sort of just just pipped them to the post there a little bit. But I think you've got to consider as well that it came down to you know ref decisions and things like that. That although you know they may be world champions, um, I think it could be argued that that Penrith sort of deserved that title alongside them. I mean, all the talk pre game was that the NRL premiers were they, they were going to be too strong for Wigan. Um, it, I, you're right. It was an absolutely incredible performance from Matt Pete's side in front of the DW. Look, they, they made history. That's their fifth title. And it is without a question in my mind, this is a very special team. They are the best team, the team to beat in England, and they will make it very hard for anyone in Super League to challenge them this year. Um, this is also the first time since 2007 and 2008 that the Super League side have won back-to-back world challenges against supposedly one of the best NRL seeds that NRL size that there's ever been. Um, so I think, you know what? I think the Aussies need to put a bit more respect on our league's name. That's twice that this league's best team has beaten your best. And yes, Wigan were lucky, as we say, but they went punch for punch against Australia's finest and they've come out on top. Um, look, Penrith-wise, they're going to be disappointed. This is the trophy that continues to evade them during their star-studded run, and they were desperate to get that finally over the line. Um, and it's also the first game that they've played since the end of their last season. They haven't had any warm-up games, so maybe they were a bit rusty. Um, I guess the question that keeps coming up is, should this kind of game be played at the end of the sports calendar year, say in like late October, November, where the sides are all coming off their season and they're not just preparing or even starting the next one. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree, definitely. You know, you've got to think about how much practice these teams get to get to get in there before it's happening. Obviously, we're going to have other games on their mind alongside that. Although that's the more important game, the Super League is still important to them as well. You know, so it, I, I do think it would give more of a fair not that it might necessarily have changed the score or not I mean we can't we, we'll never know that um but I do think it does give each team a fair enough advantage that you know they're they're ready to go they've been they've been practicing they've been training they've been all these other things and then when it comes to a game like this where it's something like a referee's decision that's in between these two teams going up against the same thing it might be it might have been a completely different thing but yeah I, I do think maybe moving it um but then you know would that mess up the super league calendar and would that have loads of problems for other people you sort of you don't know well i think there's been some talk recently around how this is the kind of game that should be held in a neutral location between um between where you could have the team from australia could come over somewhere and vegas has been touted um to and the English team can get over there and the, the English fans would travel and that this would be an event which is um, already booked in it's in the calendar say early November and then once you know that you've won your respective title you then have that two-week window to prepare for this game and I, I think that could work and I think that might be where we go with this going forwards um, the NRL is launching their season in 
in Vegas next weekend. And that's going to be a very big shindig. There's going to be a lot of money and hype pumped into that. And I think that they really want to try and capitalize on growing international interest in this game. So, yeah, maybe in a few years, this game will be held more closer towards the start of the winter. But all being well, it was an absolute cracker and a great way to start us off this evening. So Wigan up next, they're at home against Huddersfield. So they go from facing off against the world's best to taking on a side, which, as we're going to come on to talk in a bit, are a bit hard to predict. Uh, whilst Penrith, they prepare for a hard round one encounter in the NRL against the Melbourne Storm. And so we are now turning to the Salford Stadium where the Castlefield Tigers came to the Red Devils. Salford building again, but they've run out of tackles. This is the last. Sneed. Up it goes. Being chased hard by McDonald. But... Oh, McDonald! What about that? He's picked out his pockets in midair and he's claiming a try. Dave Woods for Sky Sports on the call there as Nelly McDonald scored an outrageous try after he stripped the ball from Cass's last defender on the goal line to score what turned out to be a game-changing try for Salford as they held on to beat Castleford Tigers 26-22. The Red Devils got off to a thumping start as Cass barely touched the ball in the opening 10 minutes with forward Sam Stone and Amir Baru scoring and it looked like Salford were going to run away with it. But the Tigers weren't having any of it and Sam Wood responded on 22 minutes to half the deficit before Jack Broadbent got free on Salford's left defensive flank but Richardson missed the conversion. McDonald then scored his outrageous effort and Sneed was true from the kicking tee to put Salford 18-10 up at the break. Stone then put Salford 16 points clear after crossing for his second of the day on 48 minutes before Cass then roared back again on 55 minutes through a converted try through Joe Westerman and then defensive errors began to plague the Red Devils. Jack Ormondroyd made an idiotic run into Jacob Miller on a kick to get put in the bin as Cass piled on the pressure on Salford's goal line Handling errors prevented them from getting over until the 77th minute when Liam Horn set up a grandstand finish with a converted try to make it 26-22. And Cass had the ball for the last few plays in Salford's half, but were unable to get the ball over the line. Leona, you were there. You were watching along as a Cass fan. How was it for you? I mean... Obviously, like the the obviously the stadium, like it's it's fantastic to be there in the atmosphere, and you know there's a little bit of friendly abuse going on from both sides, which you know <laughs> as there is, uh, and we've got the good old cast fan with the drum who manages to turn up wherever and whenever we are, which we love. Um, but I thought it was a fantastic game. Uh, you love nothing more than a game that sort of keeps you on your toes, like we were saying before, and I really think that's that's how it was. Like you said in the first. 10 minutes, we really weren't looking strong. We were doing really poorly. thought the defence was terrible. And I and I was kind of watching between my hands thinking, oh, God, like, what's going to happen? Because if we get beat, like, 14-0 or something, I'm going to have to go home and cry about this. Yeah. Um, but Cass really brought it back and... You know they they started defending a lot better. Um, they had a they had a lot more possession of the ball. Um, but you've just got people like Mark Sneed and his kick, 
I mean, if yeah. he could bottle his kick and give it to every league, every Super League team, I think it would be there would be points in between the first and last people because he's fantastic and it's always impeccable. It always goes where it needs to go. Um, but I was really impressed, especially, and to be honest, I am every time he plays, but by Joe Westerman. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player. He's really good at taking risks. He's really good at knowing where he needs to be. Fantastic at defending. Um, and I think the problem with Cat is I think it's a confidence thing sometimes. They mm. seem to go one step forward, three steps back. It seems to be, you know, the opposing team, Salford, they'll, they'll get the ball over the line. And it seems to really have an impact on the way that Cass play until Cass get an opportunity, whether it's a sin bin, whether it's a penalty or whether they themselves get a try. And then that seems to boost their confidence back up. So they're a very frustrating team, especially as a fan to watch, because they're doing really well and then they're doing quite poor and then really well again. And it's it's very um it's very difficult to know what the score's gonna be when it when it is cast, because I think it solely depends on how well the other team are doing, and that's what really knocks their confidence back, and they need to get better at sort of believing in themselves because as much as us cast fans believe in them you know if you everyone knows if you don't believe in yourself you're not gonna be able to do anything and you know um Craig Lingard was really impressed with with the way that they played um and and they should be but yeah I mean Salford defense attack they were they were brilliant but I think maybe a couple of our tries was something to do with maybe Salford were on their best form um and if they'd been playing the best they could be. I think the score would be very different. Um, luckily, it wasn't, um, and it's it's nice it's nice to see the scoreboard's quite tight because at one point I was uh, I was losing faith a little bit. I think one thing that Cast fans should be very proud of is that they came back into this game twice when they looked pretty much down. I think it was I think it was twenty six ten the second time, and it was yeah, and then twelve nil at the start. But both times they came roaring back. Um, they have this bounce back mentality, um, this side, which I know they obviously got really hard done by against Wigan in round one, but I, it, it's something which will stand them in good stead. And I think they, they will challenge teams. They will get wins on the board this year. Um, it, I think maybe this game maybe came too early in the season, I guess, for them to fully mount the comeback and go on to win the game. Um, Salford got lucky. They seem to do everything in their power to throw the game away in the last 20 minutes. Um, and that was a really hard watch because at times they were scintillating with their attack in the first 15 minutes. I thought, wow, okay, as you say, Zolf could really, really um, run up a good score here. But I mean, I, the one of the things that I take from the Salford perspective is um, it's further proof that Nelly McDonald is a brilliant asset for this red side. He showed some expert awareness to bring that ball in. As you say, Sneed is Salford's best player. He oozes class in the number seven shirt. After all, like the people that we've lost from Salford over the years, he continues to be that best player that in that fixed position. That's kicking game is just second to none. And we need him now more than ever. Like, if we didn't have his brilliance in this game, we would have very easily lost it. I thought Sam Stone was really dominant on the goal line in the forward pack. It was great to see him bag a brace. Another game for Amir Baru at Hooker, where he didn't really look out of place as well. Look, uh, Salford fans, we're going to be chuffed with this win, but this was way more than a nail-biter at the end than it ever needed to be. And on the cast side... Inner senior looked really impressive as a winger. He's a tall, lanky guy, but he was so unlucky not to get that try, which was chalked off because he just went out of play. 
And Cast to me, they seem like a side that they don't have many stars, but they all play brilliantly as a team. And credit for them for rallying twice in a game where they could have given up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is, it's great to have some one person on the team who's absolutely fantastic. But I think, you know, it does say a lot about Cast that they do have this relationship and this chemistry where they kind of move as one. And I and I really like that about them, and and I sort of I sort of always had, uh, I always have. But um, obviously, there's going to be we're going to be talking about this on every single one, I imagine. But there was more controversy over whether Westerman should have had it should have been a penalty, which Cast ones were delighted about, or mm. whether it should have been a sin bin. And I think, you know, we we all kind of knew the rules, we knew the new rules going going into the season. But I think people are getting very confused. Yeah. Um, and I think as a as a fan watching, I'm getting very confused as well. Where I'm where I'm thinking, oh, that's that's going to be a simbin, and it's a penalty, and then something happened. I think, no, no, penalty, and it's and it's a red card, and I and it's getting very confusing. But I think the only issue we have as fans is that we're not physically on the pitch. So these home mitigating circumstances, and you know, was there really anything behind it? That's what they're looking at. Um, I think that's where fans are going to really fall short when knowing, being able to predict what what it's going to be, whether it's going to be a red card or whether it's going to be a penalty. Because even with the VAR, we can't necessarily see what the referee has seen and what he's seen leading up to whatever's happened. Um, whether whether it's because I'm a Cast fan or or what, but I I do I don't think there really was anything in it, and I think it probably should have been a penalty. But obviously. Two sin bins for Salford. I think. I think people naturally assumed. Well, it's going to be another sin bin as well. Um, but luckily for Cast, that that wasn't uh, that wasn't the outcome. I mean, I, I really thought that that Ormond Royd's tackle because originally that that wasn't going to be a sin bin. But when I was watching, I was watching it on the TV. It was just such an idiotic thing to do. Where he completely takes the kicker out after the ball's gone. And yeah, I, I hear what you mean about the discipline action this season. I don't really want us to bang on about it so much because I feel like it's all I'm seeing in terms of fans engaging with with the media, engaging with the sport at the minute. It's just complaining about refereeing constantly. And, you know, I'm really trying to enjoy the sport. But there are mm-hmm. moments where it, it just it is baffling. The lack of consistency across games is it's just so uneven. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, yeah. I think there'll there'll be more refereeing calls, unfortunately, on tonight that we'll have to talk through. But I think yeah. we'll leave that one there. But I think one other thing I wanted to chat about this is is that the Cast fans they set up a fundraiser to pay Liam Watts's fine after his red card against Wigan. Um, he put out a very big message thanking the supporters for it. And you've spoken previously, the only about how Cast fans really do rally behind this squad it's very much a part of the town and this really screams that doesn't it absolutely and I think you know everyone's gonna everyone's gonna want to say this about their team they're like our family and this that and the other but they really are like it's it really is a very small town and you know you see you see a cast player in Aldi and you ask them for a um, you ask them for a picture and they'll take one. You know, I I met Joe Westerman because I used to work in a pub where he where he used to go with his where like with his family and mm. he used to buy me a drink sometimes when I when I've been working you know the carvery shift on a Sunday and you know it's just the way that they are the way that they interact with fans and the way that fans interact with them and I think this is where you know the whole IMG rating kind of thing. This is where Cass are really going to bump themselves up is that the love that they have for their fans and the the love that their fans have for them is just it's just amazing and I think that 
really shows that really puts into perspective not only what Cast Tigers are like as a team, but what Castleford is like as a place. And it makes me very, very proud and sort of patriotic to be from there. That's very well said, Leonie. Um, so up next for the two teams, Salford are at home to Hull KR on Saturday night and Cast they're going away to Warrington on Friday night. Right, let's now head to Thursday night's blockbuster, which was Hull KR against the Leeds Rhinos. Litton will get it away. Here now is Minchella, turns the ball back on the inside. Little kick through. The Robins to win it. The Robins to win it. Try under the post. Referee wants to check it, but Hull KR celebrate. Hickel, it was who pounces on the loose ball. Mark Wilson with a call there for Sky Sports as Peter Hickey went over for Hull KR's third and decisive try in their 22-12 win over Leeds Rhinos on Thursday night at Craven Park. This was a real game of two halves with ill-discipline from both sides leading to scores for the other team. Leeds got after a strong start through Harry Newman's converted try in the 12th minute with Hickey in the bin. And after a dominant 30 minutes for the Rhinos, Sosa Sue managed to get over the line to tie the game up before Donaldson went into the bin for Leeds in what easily could have been a red card. And Jez Litton, who went a perfect 5 for 5 on kicks on the night, put KR in front of the break. Ryan Hall then crossed not long into the second half to extend Rovers' lead before Leeds came roaring back through another superb Ash Hanley try off Brody Cross' inventive kick. Sam Lazone was then yellow carded and Litton kicked for two before Hiku's decisive try in the 71st minute put the game to bed. Leone, we have already talked here about inconsistency with refereeing decisions and this was another bad call in my book where Donaldson should have been sent off. It, it, she should have. It was not just... It should not have been a yellow. It looked very similar to the McLaurin and Watts Reds uh, from round one. And, you know, Leeds got very lucky that they went down to 12 men for most of this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I watched it, the first thing I compared it to was the Watts thing. I mean, I know I really don't want to bang on about it as a cast fan, but, you know, I really did think that that was unfair. And I know there's nothing we can do about it now. He's taken it. um, He's taken it. Very, um, very gentleman like in his in his way, um. But yeah, I I really I I did think that that should have been a red card, and this is what I mean about the whole confusing thing. Fans can't um can't do what they used to do before, where they used to sort of guess whether what it was going to be. Um, I I definitely think this is going to be you know sort of a sort of an ongoing issue but i think the the main ongoing issue needs to be that realistically we shouldn't have any sim bins or red cards because it shouldn't happen um no. and you know all the pundits and and commentators when you when you listen to them they're all talking about you know these rules are not to be boring or to be harsh or anything like that it is to keep people safe and the players know that just as well as we do more than we do because they're the ones they're the ones in the firing line um but I just think as I do hope that as the Super League goes on, then the season goes on, the more red cards and sim bins there are, players will be really working hard in training to prevent sim bins from even happening and from situations like this to, to stop happening completely. Yeah, no, absolutely. So many good points there. Um, and look, and look, but uh, let's not cloud around this from the fact that the game was a really good watch. Uh, the second half particularly was wonderful. Both sides were really going full at it. 
um, and Hull KR, they, they get the win. And look, they're still not wowing, um, but they have definitely not dropped off from the top four side that they were in 2023. And they're only getting better. It's a bit of a wake-up call for the Rhinos on where their ceiling is at the minute as a squad. Um, but I think, look, when it's a game of two halves, you always want to have the game in the second half. You always want that to be your time to really shine. And, and Hulk KR, they were brilliant. Um, Jez Litton was so impressive. The main problem with Hulk KR in round one was their kicking game. He went five for five. And not just in his kicking, but he was super at hooker and instrumental to their attack. Um, on the lead side, ill-discipline was their killer here. And look, the sin bins all resulted in points for the other side. So that, that's just something they're going to have to learn for if they're going to be competitive in these games. Um, Ash Hanley's try. I mean, it, he is going to be a game changer for this lead side if he keeps this up. Um, really good game from Brody Croft as well with the two assists. I think he's really starting to pick up. Um and look, Leeds, they go, they're at home to Catalan on Saturday afternoon in the next game. Well, Hull KR have got Salford and both these sides are going to be starting to really try and find their identity and be able to ramp up their attack a bit more. But Leeds versus Catalan, that's going to be an absolute cracker of a game. And I, I, as a Salford fan, I, I feel like I do kind of look at Leeds a lot because I see them with lots of Salford ex-players. But, you know, I, I think that they're going to need to start winning these games if they're going to be taken seriously this year. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, they had a pretty terrible year last year and a lot of it, you know, we we could make excuses for them. A lot of it was due to injuries and things like that. But they've got some brilliant players this year. Um, like I said, like Brody, Brody Cross' kick was brilliant. I, I loved it. It was one of my absolute, mm. my absolute highlights of that game. Ryan Hall, I think he's such a destructive player in the most exciting way um when we were watching it me and my me and my friend were joking because I'm only five foot two we were saying if Ryan Hall ran into me I'd probably never wake up again because he's just <laughs> he's just massive and you know he, he bulldozes through players and I think he's such an exciting player to watch and you know I'm I'm clearly not a not a Leeds fan if anything they're a little bit of our rivals but I, I have got a, a deep love for for Ryan Hall um and I do. I think he uh, Hiku had a much better game than last time. Um, obviously, his, his kicking really wasn't sort of on par. Um, mm. But I think you know, getting a getting a try in there definitely got people back on side for him. Um, and yeah, Jeslin definitely deserved play with the match. I thought he was fantastic. His kicks were brilliant. He, he played so well. Um, and it was it was a really enjoyable it was a really enjoyable game to watch. It was just so frustrating all these mistakes. And I think mm-hmm. you know with Leeds having having Catalan, the mistakes are going to be the difference between that game. I, I really think, and they need to they need to really tidy it up um, if they want to be if they want to be doing big this year. Yeah, absolutely. So in other news from kind of Holt, look, they've confirmed the signing of Sydney Roosters legend and three-time NRL Premiership winner Jared Warrior Hargreaves on a one-year deal for 2025. He spent 16 years at the top of the game in Australia and he'll be 36 uh, when he comes to Hull. Uh, but this is another point here, um, particularly with him and with Tom Burgess signing for Huddersfield. These are a lot of old-timers now that have kind of doing their like their sunset careers here in England and this is this is the English league where we've just beaten the Australia's best team two years in a row and we've got all these old timers granted they're very good players but they're not at the top of the game 
And I don't want the Super League to be seen internationally as a place where once you kind of you want to just have an easy ride for a year or two, you come over here. And I find that really frustrating. I don't know if I'm in in the minority here, but um, because I know this is a player that was really talented, but we don't want the reputation of, for example, with football, where players used to go over to the MLS in America for a bit of a paycheck and for a bit of just more of a relaxing game, do we? No, and I mean, as soon as you said that, literally the first thing that pops into my head was like a retirement home for NRL mm. players. And we don't want that to be, we don't want that to be the Super League. I mean, we've got some great players who are in rugby wise, not necessarily, you know, life wise cracking on. I mean, Ryan Hall, he's in his, he's in his late 30s now. And, you know, he seems pretty unstoppable in, in what he can do, especially, especially um, on the field. But yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, it, it kind of diminishes the Super League a little bit, I think, um, because whether or not they've made, they'll have made these moves for whatever reason they've made them for, um, and that obviously all goes on behind closed doors. But we don't want the NRL to to look sort of down on the Super League a little yep. bit and be like, oh well, when we're done with our best players, you can have them, and we're exactly. sort of like sloppy seconds kind of thing. And that's not what we are, you know. The the Super League is fantastic games, fantastic players, and so much talent, and that that deserves to be highlighted in its own right. Absolutely. So look, the Rovers have also announced another signing this week. They picked up Ben Reynolds from the Featherstone Rovers to help add some competition in their backs. Uh, the former Leopard fullback has signed on a two-year deal. Uh, Rovers also announced ahead of the game that their former vice chairman, Rob Crossland, has passed away after his cancer return. So our best wishes to Rob's family at this time. Right, let's head to the Halliwell Jones Stadium as Warrington Sam Burgess made his home opener as coach. No, it's just an, an accidental clash of heads there. New Brown doesn't know what's coming, doesn't know it's what's coming. Contact. It's forceful and dangerous. There's no mitigation. You're off. Well... Dave Woods with the call there on Sky Sports as the latest Hull FC newest recruit faces his marching orders in a game after the referee deems New Brown to have been dangerous in his contact with Ben Curry as the forward came away with a bit of a bloody nose. Uh, the call was unfortunately for Wire fans the main talking point of this game as Hull had looked like they were going to seriously challenge the host before the controversial sending off. Um, until that point, the sides were neck and neck at six and six with Danny Walker crossing for the host and Lewis Martin responding in kind for the black and whites. After the sending off, Tex Hoy was lucky to escape any punishment after his tackle around Matty Ashton's neck looked worse than the New Brown sending off, leading to a penalty try for the wire. In the second half, Hull came roaring back with a superb try from Jack Walker before Sam Powell car through the middle of the whole goal line defence to extend the wire lead and from then onwards the whole defiance faded as Toby King, James Harrison and Connor Wrench crossed to tally up the scores despite the fact that Warrington lost Sam Powell for 10 minutes in the second half. Leona you watched this game for us um, and I hate to start with another controversial refereeing call but this caused palpitations across the rugby league community when this started this clip started doing the rounds what did you think when you first saw it? Oh, it wasn't a red. No, no way. No way was it a red. And I think, you know, when it seems to be getting more and more 
sort of obvious that a player knows when they shouldn't have done something because they kind of do that thing where they throw their hands up and they're a little bit like, oh, and they know that they're about to get, they know they're about to get red carded. But I mean, I think the look on his face was all of our faces as well. Mm. Um, and I think you've got to consider blood makes everything look worse. It does. You know, if you've ever if you've ever cut your arm a little bit and you think, oh my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die of blood loss, and then you wipe the blood away and it's a tiny little cut on your arm and you just think, oh, it's fine. And he came back on, you know, he was absolutely fine. And and it's, yeah, I mean, I know we, we've said, you know, we don't want to bang on about and think like things like this, but this is what's making fans really sort of angry at the minute is that, People, I mean, I looked on Twitter because that's where you go if you want to know controversial thoughts about a game. And everyone was saying, you know, this is going to ruin, this is going to ruin the Super League, it's going to ruin Rugby League. We don't, people don't want to watch this anymore. And, and you know, I think you have to come back to that it is all about safety. But at the same time, why would you nut someone in the head on purpose? Because these are strapping big lads. That's going to hurt him just as much as it's going to hurt the other person. I'd never headbutt someone on purpose because I don't fancy having a headache. So I, I really do think, yeah, I don't think it was a red card. Uh, I feel so bad for him. I feel really bad for him, you know, because it's getting to a point now where a player makes a mistake and just like what's, you know, you're paying a £750 fine and all these other things are happening and you can't play. And yeah, I think it was really disappointing. I think it had a sort of detrimental impact on that game. I think as unfortunate as it sounds, I think Hull were out of that game as soon as it happened. And mm-hmm. you know, they didn't get they didn't give up, which you've got to give them you've got to give them credit for that. They didn't give up. But I mean, how do you how do you play on knowing that one of your players has just been given a red card, they're not coming back on, and nobody really on that pitch seemed to think they deserved it. That's got a massive knock for morale. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it kind of ruined the rest of the game a little bit. It definitely ruined morale from the fans as well, which is obviously such a huge part of the game. Um, obviously, Warrington played fantastically. Um, Sam Burgess' first win, so he must be super happy and super proud of his team. And I know he, he said he was really proud of them. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, that that disadvantage that it gave Hull, I think realistically they weren't really going to come back from that. I agree. Um, as much as Warrington did look a lot tighter and look, Sam Burgess can clock off his first winner's boss. Um, the side looked rampant, but they were going up against 12 men. Um, and they still feel like, well, at least I feel that they're not really out of third gear yet as round two comes to a close. I'm still not quite sold on them as a leading side in the league yet. Um, and this puts Hull in a really difficult position um, and they're, they're right to feel very aggrieved particularly after their rollicking in the derby last week. Look, they look much better and they really did threaten Warrington. And the fact that they'll now lose New Brown for a few games now means that they're going to have a lot of key players out. Uh, But they do face London at home next Sunday. So maybe that is some solace for those fans to be thinking about this evening. Um, But on the court, I think the referee has made a real bad call here. Yes, the nose was bleeding, but I do think he jumped the gun. There was no intention no dangerous play from what I can see. And it, it you're right, it makes fans lose faith with how the game is being refereed right now. It's a farce and Hull fans are right to be furious about it. And we look, is Super League in a crisis about all of this? No, but if we keep seeing this every single week, it's all we're going to be talking about. And I don't want to be talking about the refereeing calls, as I said earlier. I want to be talking about the great players and the fantastic players we have in this league. But we're going to have to talk about it. 
because it's it's such a factor in these games, which it has a massive detrimental Im- impact on the team, which loses these players for these decisions. Um, and so Warrington now they've got uh, they've got Cass on Friday night. So so how are you now feeling about that after seeing both these sides this week? I mean, I think defensively both teams are, are strong. So I think it's it really is going to be, you know, sort of fight for possession. But like I've said, I think with Cass, it is all about confidence. And if Warrington, mm. you know, they, they score a try maybe in the first 10, 15 minutes, that is really going to knock Cass back probably up until half time when, you know, um, the captains and the coach sort of get them in and, and have a bit of a word. Um, but yeah, Warrington looked really strong. And, and obviously, it was Sam Burgess's first win. They're going to have a lot of confidence. They're going to have a lot of hunger now that they've kind of shown everyone, you know, this is what we can do, um, regardless of the fact, um, you know, they, they were playing against 12 men. Because even before that, they, they looked really strong. They had high energy. The players seemed to sort of communicate with each other really well. Um, I'm not as worried about it as I has been with other, as I have been with other games like Wigan um, because I I get less worried when I think you know Cass maybe will be able to get a few tries in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still super excited for the game. I'm super excited to see what happens, and I have everything that I can cross cross that there's not going to be any controversy about red <laughs> cards and sin bins and we can just have a lovely game where no one's getting angry about things like that. But you know maybe um, maybe this is a, a hope for for next year rather than this year. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's hope. Let's hope indeed. Um, so let, now let's let's head to the Kirkley Stadium now where Huddersfield were trying to follow up their big win over Lee Leopards in round one by entertaining St. Helens. Oh, oh away here. Jack Wellsby needs some support and he's managed to find it. Away to the left-hand side. They're still going here. St. Helens will round this off beautifully by scoring yet another try. And that is tremendous stuff for the visitors as Jonathan Benison caps off what's been a terrific performance for him throughout the evening with a try. Fraser Dainton on the call there for Sky Sports as John Benison finished off a nice flowing move from St. Helens to get their fourth try on the night where the Red V oozed class as they won 28-0 against Huddersfield. It was a difficult night for the Yorkshire club who were held scoreless by St. Helens in their season home opener with St. Helens defence looking absolutely imperious at times whilst their attacking players all had strong nights. Uh, Matt Whitley got the Saints on the board after 10 minutes, but Huddersfield managed to keep them shut out until Siona Matawita crashed over on the edge of half time with St. Helens up 12-0 at the half. Jack Wellsby finished off a flowing move after 51 minutes, but then Huddersfield were handed an opportunity when Daryl Clark was simbined with 63 minutes on the clock. However, the Saints' defence remained rigid shut, restricted the Giants countless times. And on 75 minutes, Benison scored that breathless fourth before Morgan Knowles added more gloss on the scoreline with a fifth and final try. Look, this was a master defensive showing from the Saints. They were so disciplined, so tight together that the Giants found them a nut that they simply could not crack. It was a polished performance from the kickoff right until the end buzzer from Paul Welland's side. And they looked like they were really enjoying themselves. And even after they had 20 minutes, even even with 20 minutes to go when Whitley went into the bin, they just didn't give Huddersfield a sniff at scoring. Uh, Giants-wise, this is a disappointing result for them. Even if it is one of the league's best teams that they've come up against, it's the manner of the, the, the defeat. To go scoreless in your home opener does not fill fans with lots of confidence. And it's a bit of a drop-off 
after turning over the Leopards in round one. And it does throw up a few questions about Ian Watson's side. Um, they did miss Jake Connor's influence with their goal line attack, but this will throw up a lot of a lot of fears, I think, for Huddersfield fans that maybe maybe the rat they're they're showing in round one it was not indicative of the year to come. Leonie, with this game, do we think that St Helens are kind of laying down a marker for the rest of the league? Absolutely. I mean, like you said, their their defence is made of steel. There's there's no getting past it. It's fantastic. And the work that they've probably done pre-season to get to this point, I mean, you, you can't uh, you can't sort of I don't know, doubt their efforts, I suppose. I mean, they're just they're just fantastic and this it's so beautiful to watch in the way that they all play with each other. And, you know, I always I, I've thought with with St. Helens, um since you know the beginning of the season, which is really not that long ago, uh, that they've got two main things on their side, and it's their defence and Jack Wellsby. I mean, mm. he is a force to be reckoned with. Obviously, um, this man of steel is getting closer and closer to it. Seems like already, uh, and we're only you know first first couple of weeks into into the games, but he's just fantastic. And I think the way he plays the ball is just impeccable, and he takes risks, and he's an exciting player to watch. And I think. Um, I think St. Helens should be really proud of of just what an amazing player that he is. Yeah, I think they're very lucky to have him. I mean, he very well could have left them to go down under this year, but he was committed to stay. He wanted to, he had unfinished business in England and they are, they are so well run as a squad. They just seem to just look unbeatable at times. And when I was thinking it's when Saints and Wigan play, that is going to be a clash for the Titans because I think these two sides so far, I mean, I know we're only two weeks in, but they've looked look far and away the uh, the cream of the crop. And I cannot wait to see them two go up against each other. I think they both sides have got some of the best players that Super League has had for a long time. And as you say, Jack Wellsby is 100% one of those players. So St. Helens, they welcome Lee on Friday night. So what kind of Lee are we going to be expecting from them? And Huddersfield, they are away at Wigan. So no easy games for those two teams heading into round three. And we're going to finish off the recap of Super League with heading over to the first game in London in quite some time as the London Broncos welcome to the Catalan Dragons. Garcia takes another 10, 15 metres out of the defence here. Big problems. As Da Costa has it, he's going to Farge now. Farge with another step, reaches out. And Tio Farge is over for his second try of the night. That was Mark Wilson with the call there as Theo Farge crossed for the second time as the Capitals' first Super League game in some years was a mauling for their home team by Catalan side that had their tails up. The Dragons put the Broncos to the sword, racking up 34 points to zero with a double from Tariq Sims and solo efforts from Jaden Nikarima and Arthur Morg added to Farge's brace as the French side ran rampant in Ealing on Friday night. Uh, the Broncos will have been expecting a difficult game, but it's fair to say that they were thoroughly outplayed on the night by Catalan, whose new signings are really beginning to blend well with their veterans and are looking like a fine side in 2024. Look, I don't think we can draw any big sweeping conclusions from this game. Um, Catalan could have scored a lot more here, and I don't think the score really does their play justice. They they tore them apart, and... London very much admitted to that after the game that it was a big lesson learned kind of game. 
I, I I like seeing Theophilus take center stage, and he took both his tries really well. But their second row dominated the Broncos' goal line defense. They just couldn't stop them at all. And every time the, the Dragons got into the Broncos' last 20, it just looked like it was going to end in a score. It was not an easy night for any Broncos fan that would have been in attendance to watch. Uh, but on the positives for London... Look, this was a big moment for them. They're back in the big time and they drew a good crowd for this game. The players will have enjoyed themselves despite the defeat and they can take a lot of lessons from the way that the Dragons played as they're a top team and they really showed it. Um, anything else you want to add on that one, Leone? Yeah, I just think I feel so sorry for, for the Broncos because the first few games they've had have just been horrendous like the worst people that they could have been playing and it can't do anything for the players confidence because you know even teams that are even teams that have done really well in the Super League can look terrible compared to to these teams like Catalan sometimes um but I think at the same time it's really important that these games have come of these games have come early because they can learn from them they're mm. seeing how the best teams in the Super League play and they can take all of their defensive strategies all their attacking strategies they can they can sort of roll them up into a ball and then be like right this is how we need to play so I think as much as you can feel sorry for them because of these really just strong teams that were strong last year they're strong this year I do think it's giving them right at the start of the season a long amount of time to be able to improve their game, learn from the best teams in the Super League, because who better to learn from? Um, but yeah, I did think that the score was going to be a lot higher for Catalan, um, which you know some people you might say you know it was it was it was a nil score so for the other team. So obviously they did brilliantly, but I, I would have thought that they'd been getting into the forties. Um, mm. And I do think that maybe worry that might worry Catalan fans just a little bit um, because, like like you said, I mean they they were going to get battered and they did get battered, um, but not as as badly as I thought they were, which really sort of surprised me. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how both these sides do look. Uh, Catalan, they're away to Leeds on Saturday afternoon. I think that's probably one of the ties of the round. While the Broncos, they they go to Hull on Sunday afternoon. So. Let's see if they can really lay down a marker and put on a decent performance against that side, which are really in free fall at the minute. Um, so that, that's the recap for Super League. So let's have a look at some other news from around the UK in the game. Uh, this weekend saw the Challenge Cup reach the fourth round. Uh, on Saturday, York Acorn bested the Wathbrow Hornets 32-28 before a bumper four-game slot on Sunday where Widnes Vikings knocked out the Bradford Bulls 26-12 whilst Batley Bulldogs bested the Rochdale Hornets 30-14. Featherstone blasted 58 past the Keeley Cougars, who notched 14 points before the Sheffield Eagles booked their place in the fifth round with a 32-16 win over York City Knights. In the round five draw, with games taking place on the 9th and 10th of March, York Acorn will now go to the Halifax Panthers. Witness will entertain Batley. A big clash awaits between Featherstone and Wakefield Trinity before Swinton Lions take on either Oldham or Sheffield. So let's talk some of the news coming out of the NRL. So there is a lot of pre-Vegas talk with the big games happening this coming weekend. And the people that are involved with the National Rugby League in Australia are doing a lot of talking at the minute as they're promoting their big Vegas season launch. Um, and over the last week, there's been some real eye-grabbing headlines. Uh, the 
biggest of which comes from Matty Johns, uh, a legendary NRL player and a broadcaster down in Australia who says that the NRL is considering buying out Super League and changing the league calendar to winter spring instead of spring summer. So here he is speaking to SEN League this week. Rumour I'm hearing, boys, and I mean, it's been mooted a little bit, but it's getting stronger that the NRL is seriously looking to possibly buy the English Rugby League. Too wow. smart. That, that They have to do that. That's a great play, isn't it, Brian? And, and then it, it, yeah. the World Club Challenge has to be in Vegas. Yep. yep. And move it back and move it back to, in, in England to be a winner sport. Yep. And that way... It may broadens the base. It adds to the depth of both competitions because players can go over and have guest stints. And... <laughs> now, this is quite a controversial idea here. And look, but my take is back off. This only suits the Australian League. NRL is their biggest sports league there. Of course, let's make it work where they send their players on loan over the winter to England and then they can bring them back for the usual season um, in England, through the winter, we have so many sports and commercial interests. You've got football, rugby union, the Six Nations. It dominates the broadcasting slots and sports fans' interests. One of the best things about rugby league in the UK is that it takes place in the summer. It gives sports fans a chance to watch when all of the other sports seasons are over. And importantly, it allows the sport to get the great coverage it does when no other sports are on. It would be a kick in the teeth to the game here, moving it back to the winter. And I know investment could come if the NRL buy it, but this is about heritage. And for the last few decades, this calendar has worked. So why change it? Leonie, I can tell from the look on your face that you're just as angry about this as I am. I mean, I absolutely second that back off. I I mean, I came back from the Salford game about an hour ago. I've currently got fluffy pyjamas on, a blanket and a hot water bottle because I still can't feel my feet. So if you think that you can change the the Super League to being in winter, I will not be going to any games because I physically can't function, okay? I, we don't live in Australia where there's, you know, bright sunshine all the time. You know, it's terrible. You can't do that. I mean, the the entire Super League is going to be full of, rugby players with colds yeah i mean what a terrible idea and yeah i think as well you know we the super league is ours and and that and we're so proud of it and yeah it's just i mean people people obviously have this fight between rugby league and rugby union all the time but you know it's because it's to do with with patriotism and it's to do with heritage and all these things you know people from the north are super proud to have uh, to have the super league they were they were super inviting obviously with london broncos we're inviting to anybody with southern or northern or from a different country who wants to support rugby league but i think you know you have your own thing and it's going really well for you um so you know leave us to do our thing to sit in beer gardens and watch rugby and not be coming home and filling our hot water bottles up because we can't feel our feet because that's just not fair <laughs> 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 yeah no it's um uh i just there are so many reasons why it wouldn't work but uh, i think some of the armchair fans um those that don't go to games would would think oh well it'll mean more investment in the game potentially more eyeballs on it but it only suits the australian agenda it really does and look, another big idea that has floated this week uh which comes directly from the mouth of peter volandis is that the nrl are considering super league games taking place in the u.s as part of their proposed expansion into the US market. Um, Vlandis has said that the English teams, uh, the English fans would, would get across to the US for a game of big numbers. 
But how would we feel about seeing St. Helens versus Wigan or the whole derby in Vegas in a few years? I mean, it just, I mean, for a start, as it really just doesn't feel right at all. I mean, no. there's nothing better. Like, I don't know, I like how you feel, but there's nothing better than, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm at home. I'm about 10 minutes away from Cass. We go down to the Weatherspoons that's pretty much nearly opposite, opposite the ground, and we have a pint. And then everyone's in there with their Cass shirts on and everyone's chanting and whatever. And then we walk down Weldon Road and we go to the jungle. And that will take so much away from fans. And it puts fans in a position where you know there are there are Salford fans, Cast fans, Hull fans who go to every single game. You know, they probably lie about being ill at work and they probably lie to their wives about where they're going, but they get to every single game. And if you do something like that, it it really it prevents that whole fan base that Super League is so unbelievably proud of. Because I mean I can't afford to just fly to America for a few days. No. You know, and it's and even even if I could, you know, it's really not the same. And even it being broadcast from there, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't feel right. It wouldn't feel right. And I think fans would fans would definitely bat this bat this idea out of the window pretty much straight away. And we all know that like Super League fans very much like to be heard. So um, I don't think we have too much to worry about because uh, if anyone can scare scare anyone away, it's definitely Super League fans. I think the Australian interest in this is that they need to grow their game um, from the ground up and they're seeing the US as a real target market. But you've mentioned so many reasons why this wouldn't necessarily work for the English market. And English sports fans are incredibly proud of their local teams and clubs. They do not want to see those teams and clubs go to other countries to play games that have any meaning. Friendlies, yeah, why not? But games with meaning, it's just there's too much local pride. And you do see it when some of the American sport leagues are bringing their games over to the UK. And they have big fan bases here in the UK, whether it's the NFL, whether it's now uh, in the baseball, that does happen. But you couldn't you would not get a lot of whole fans going over if you put the whole derby in vegas come on that's not going to work it's just too far the time difference is too big and would it really draw in a big crowd there i just don't think our game is big enough to send over to america just yet let's grow the game a lot let's see what kind of fan base we have there before we then try test pilot doing that there so i think we're both very much united on that front um, yeah, absolutely. Wrap, <laughs> so to wrap up with some of the other Aussie news, so uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons have confirmed the signing of second rower Luciano Leiloa from the North Queensland Cowboys on a three-year contract and the Cronulla Sharks forward Braden Hamlin Ueli has signed a new two-year extension with the Sutherland team. Look, and that brings an end to today's episode. Um, we're going to be back next week to recap Super League Round 3 and NRL stint in Vegas. Leonie, it was a real pleasure to talk through tonight. It was fantastic to have um, to have you with me. We didn't have Lily with us this uh, this evening, but I'm sure she'll be back uh, ready to kick rack on um, next week. But uh, thanks again for giving me so much of your time. Yeah, well, thank you so much. You know, love love talking about rugby league, even if we've even if we lost to you a few hours ago. I can put that behind me for an hour and then go back to being sad about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well look i'm sure you'll get us back at the jungle because that'll be a lot further into the season and who knows where both our sides are respectively going to be but no um cast are on the up as as our Salford. that's kind of where i'm leaving things this evening and that's where we'll leave this uh so we will see you next time